0: Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.
1: Hi, and welcome to Women on the Line, Community Radio's National Women's Current Affairs Programme, produced at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. I'm Amy Middleton. This week on Women on the Line, we chat to two women who are making waves in the industries of science and engineering. Students based at Melbourne University, Jess Vovers and Sophia France, are involved in Women in Science and Engineering, or WISE, which is an action group that promotes and supports female-identifying people to work and study in these often male-dominated areas. Jess Vovers is WISE president uh, and also a PhD student in chemical and biomolecular engineering, while the secretary of WISE, Sophia Frentz, is a PhD student in genetics. And I had these two women in the studio chatting to me about their involvement in WISE uh, and what it's like to be a feminist um, working or studying in an industry that is male-dominated. So thanks for joining me for another edition of Women on the Line. Thanks for being on Women on the Line, guys. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, shall we start? Yeah. 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 Um, do can you guys just tell listeners a little bit more about Wise, um, when it began, why it began, and what it does?
0: Yeah. Uh, so Wise was started by a student in 2010, uh, but I haven't really been involved with it uh, from those early days. So. My involvement with WISE started in 2014, mm-hmm. and I basically, I heard about it, and I had become more and more interested in feminism and finding out more about women in STEM. So I went to the AGM. Oh, we should explain of... what
1: STEM is. <laughs> oh, right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> STEM is uh, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, and sometimes also medicine. Okay, cool. So, yeah, so I was I was interested in finding out more about it and, you know, becoming part of the committee just to... Try my hand at it. So I went in and I was like, "Okay, I'm going to put my hand up for everything, and we'll just see what happens." Uh, So the first position that went up was president, and I put my hand up, and no one else put their hand up, and (laughs) I became president by default, uh, and that is how it all began.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like a unanimous decision to me. Yeah, I agree.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. (laughs) So that was really good, and the first the first year was really interesting because I think the community the community the committee previously sort of suffered from a lack of commitment, ironically. Mm. Uh, So it was kind of hard for them to do as much as I think they wanted to do. Uh, But I was really determined to kind of take it further. Uh, And I also wanted to give WISE a different kind of uh, focus. So WISE originally was all about professional development for girls. So there actually were a lot of like commerce students joining because they just wanted to get those kind of skill building uh, workshop experiences right uh, but I wanted it to also be about supporting the community. Uh, so I started these like coffee and cake sort of events so girls can come and you know make friends and study groups and stuff like that. and it's been really great and watching that sort of build in 2014. Was amazing. Uh, handed over to a committee of really enthusiastic girls in 2015, including Sophia. <laughs> uh, and then I recently became president again, uh, just late last year. Or so. Yeah, so yeah. my involvement with
2: WISE is actually directly attributable to Jess. So I moved to <laughs> Australia in July 2014 to start my PhD, and I knew like four people in Melbourne. So I came to the second semester Clubs Day, which is normally just dead, and this girl with bright purple hair came up to me and was friendly and at the end of our conversation gave me a hug, and it's like this this is a group I want to be involved with. <laughs> and then they were like aligned with my views because you know, I really feel quite strongly about women in science and, engineering because I am one Um, and I went to the AGM because there'd been quality free food at every event before then so I was pretty keen for that (laughs) and next minute I was secretary. That's great (laughs) I'm not entirely sure how that happened but it seems to have worked out quite well.
1: And this woman with the bright purple hair is sitting in front of me right now. Um, so, So I guess before you came on Jess and now what are some of the best things that WISE does in terms of promoting women's positions in these areas?
0: Uh, so WISE, yeah, like I said, WISE has professional development and social sort of, uh, events that we do. And I, I think the, actually the best event that we have is the networking night, which is Sophia's baby. Yeah, that's my baby. (laughs) So, um, so I ran the networking
2: night last year. It was something I've always really wanted to do, but, um, I did my undergraduate at the University of Otago in Dunedin, which is a city, in air quotes, of 120,000 people. Yeah. So it's kind of hard to run like a good networking night there, whereas when you move to Melbourne, which has the population of New Zealand, it's a lot easier. Um, and so I just sort of said, this is something I want to do to the immediate past president, who's Kim Farmer, who was also fantastic. And she said, OK, here's a budget, do it. And I just went out and I found women from a huge range of fields. I found this wonderful, diverse range of women. And I said, hey, do you want to come to an event where there's free food? And a lot of them said yes. (laughs) Um, And we managed to get, was it about 150 attendees?
0: Yes. Yeah, so
2: about 50 professionals, about 100 students. And professionals from academia, from industry, who got a science degree and gone into journalism. That was one of our past members, I believe. Um, Jess nodded, so that's right. <laughs> 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 Let the record show. Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, and so our students could talk to people and realise that if they get a science degree, they don't have to go into academia. They don't have to be a scientist. They can go into consulting. They can. Um, we had some patent attorneys there. We had a lot of our sponsors were there. Um, and they just talk to people and we gave them a little icebreaker where they had to like find someone from each of these fields or find someone was like red on their badge um which made the students actively went out and talked to people and mm. it was just it was a fantastic night and like there were some really good opportunities for students that came out of that and i've had like a lot of our members come up to us and just be like that Was amazing that changed my view of how my career is progressing and I think it's really important to show our girls that not only they can be literally anything they want to be but that their current degree can lead into whatever career opportunity they're really keen on
1: oh that's so awesome and sometimes I mean face-to-face contact with professionals is so important oh definitely because you can set up sort of mentoring relationships that way and yeah that sounds rad. Um, and speaking of, I mean, I guess the question is why is this committee necessary? What have been some of your experiences being a woman in STEM?
2: <laughs> um, so I think, particularly growing up, I found that there was a really lack of good role models for women in STEM. So, you know, there are the classic examples. So people like Rosalind Franklin, um, people.
0: Mary Curie Um, every time Yeah, Beatrice (laughs) Tinsley
2: my love there was a Google doodle yesterday for Beatrice Tinsley she's a New Zealand astronomer she's amazing was it her birthday? Um, I don't think so actually I think they were just like we're going to promote this (laughs) she worked out how stars and galaxies evolve and she was just amazing Um, and I really suffered from the lack of that and I think something particularly is growing up as a queer woman who was very interested in STEM. The only queer scientist that's well-known is Alan Turing. And he was a fantastic and brilliant scientist. But his career progression is not really something I want to mimic. Like, mm-hmm. I prefer to not be arrested and given forcible hormone therapy. I prefer to sort of be able to be out and happy and a woman and everything will be fine. We're well,
1: very fussy <laughs> there,
2: Sophia. Yeah, I know, I know. It's. it's oh, I have high standards. Asking a lot. <laughs> I'd like to be able to exist legally. That's just,
1: that's all. Because um, you've been interested in science since childhood, you were saying. Yeah,
2: yeah, since I was five and I learned how to say Massachusetts so I could tell people I wanted to go to the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Really? Yeah, yeah. I got my mom to teach me how to pronounce it. It was embarrassing. Too cute.
1: Um, <laughs> how does a five-year-old get interested in science?
2: Um, I'm really not sure. I I think it was probably partly to do with my parents. Um, So my mum's a journalist and my dad's a town planner, but they've always been very encouraging of whatever I'm curious about. And I was very, very curious about the world. And that's what science is. It's just a professional curiosity about the world. And so my dad would teach me about things like water tension using bubble bath. And, you know, um, I burned the soles of my feet standing on our driveway one time and just pointing out all the different bits of the car engine and being like, no, but what did that (laughs) do? But why is that there? Um, um, and so I was almost destined to be an engineer, but unfortunately <laughs> I chose biology as my path. Um. But yeah, so that's sort of that passion. But when you don't have anyone that you can look at and say, that person is like me and they're doing what I want to do, it's really difficult to see yourself as progressing through that career. And now we have like a lot of really wonderful role models. Um, And so one of the particular ones who I love, even though I haven't met her yet, is Missy Jenkins, who is a researcher at the Peter Mac. She's one of the L'Oreal women in science people. And she's a descendant of the Gunditjmara people from Western Victoria and I haven't met her, and if she hears this, I love you, Misty. You're amazing. Um, (laughs) Please come to our networking night this year. Uh, And you just see people like that, and you think, I... I can do that. Those people like me. I have someone that I know has done it, so I know that it's possible for me to do that. And I think when you don't have a particularly a diverse range of women in STEM or a diverse range of people in STEM, then you don't have the ability for the younger, the next generation of possibly quite brilliant scientists to feel like they can be part of that field and part of those discoveries.
1: Mm. And talking about um, a scientist from an Indigenous background as well, that must be there must be a real lack of... Um, people or non-white people in STEM as well?
2: Yeah, well, a lack of Indigenous people in STEM, I feel, particularly. Um, There have been, like, a few ideas looking into it. So the Creative Spirits website is a really good place to look for um, records of Indigenous achievement and how best to engage with Indigenous communities surrounding education. And one of the things they have found is that engagement with science for Indigenous students they can find quite difficult because science acts like white people discovered everything. Mm. And it's just... Well, Indigenous people have, you know, 40,000 years of knowledge about the environment and ecology of Australia, and, like, that's being recognised. So there are a place in Western Australia where scientists partner with Indigenous peoples to understand more about the ecology mm-hmm. and the interactions between the environment. Um, but I really don't think that's recognised enough, and it's certainly not well recognised in a very Eurocentric uh, education system, which so is quite
1: unfortunate. They, uh, there is a bit of erasure of history that goes on. Yeah, yeah,
2: a little bit. I think there's also just... It's very difficult as a white person to stop seeing white as the default and to stop seeing when Europeans discovered things as being like, well, of course, this is when it discovered. But it is really important to remember things like Columbus didn't discover America; he messed up trying to get to India. Captain Cook didn't discover Australia; there were people already here. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very important to keep discussing that and to keep talking about how the fact that, like, while white people still are unfortunately a like really dominant group in society, we aren't historically the most important group. We weren't the people that invented algebra. We weren't the people. have been a gunpowder and we certainly weren't the people who like first discovered how dingoes work that was quite probably aboriginal australians
1: jess do you have anything to add to that
0: (laughs) i think sophia got it down
1: (laughs) did you find it challenging to identify role models in stem Uh,
0: i guess yeah obviously i mean it's hard when you think of like maths and physics it's oh einstein and steve jobs is it and like you know, all of those kind of big names are all men and white men at that. So it that's definitely a big challenge. And I mean, there are other things as well. Like, you know, society kind of encourages us to think a certain way. Uh, like, in terms of personal experience, the only one of those, those big things like un- unconscious bias and kind of, um, you know, confidence issues and stuff, the only one that I've really experienced... Uh, myself is, I remember I was in a group project because I I do engineering, so there's a lot of group work. And in one of the groups, I was being assertive, (laughs) not in a bad way, because I was doing what we needed to do. I was saying what needed to be said. Uh, And it was, um, I think there were four of us. And so two of us were agreeing with me, obviously, uh, (laughs) and the other two were not. And so... Although I wasn't as aggressive as the other guy, I was trying to make our points in a very logical way. Mm-hmm. Um, the other person called me a bitch. And I was like, okay, fine, I'll be a fucking bitch. Oh, sorry, I shouldn't
1: be allowed to you're allowed. <laughs>
0: um, yeah, so that was a bit eye-opening because I don't think that he would have called the other guy by any kind of things yeah. like that. Um, but, you know, it's... It just it just made me feel like I want to keep going even more. So I guess it's kind of good to have those experiences sometimes, at least when you know what they are. So, yeah.
1: and um, yeah, I totally agree. Um, and Wise focuses on um, intersectional diversity as well, which is um, maybe a bit of a buzzword. <laughs> um, but can you explain what that concept means for listeners that don't know, and talk a bit about a bit about why it's important?
2: Well, essentially it's the idea that my feminism means nothing unless it's for all women, right? Like, you can have really excellent feminist groups that make wonderful strides, and they'll only benefit rich white women, and that's great. Good for rich white women. You've done very well for yourselves. But realistically, like, diversity of people is incredibly important particularly when you talk about things like science and technology because it's developing ideas and testing those ideas and unless you have people from a diversity of backgrounds from like a diverse a uh, huge range of religious backgrounds ethnic backgrounds cultural backgrounds you're not going to get that diversity of thought and that's the same thing when it comes to things like gender It's like men and women can be taught to think in very different ways and it can be sort of imprinted on them from like a very very young age and that diversity of thought is actually quite key when it comes to trying to solve problems because and like I've heard a lot of stories about this when going to events um like with Vesky which is a really good group in Melbourne for women in STEM um is that people will talk about it and they'll say well all of these men were struggling over this problem and a woman came in and she was like well obviously it's this Just obviously. (laughs) What what is wrong with all of you? (laughs) Um, And so it's not just the fact that we need women in science and engineering. It's the fact that we need a hugely diverse range of women in science and engineering. We need queer women. We need disabled women. We need women from different ethnic backgrounds, different religious backgrounds. We need trans women. We need all of them to be in these spaces so we can best solve the world's problems and mm-hmm. so that we can do things like develop cures for AIDS and develop these amazing treatments for cancer and, like, start changing
1: the world for the better. And how do you explain the differences in um, ways of thinking or knowledge or between those groups? Do you think it's experience-based or, like... I
2: think some of it is experience-based. A lot of it is in how you're brought up. Um, mm-hmm. So... This was one of the things I definitely found with um, pushing for diversity at the networking night and making sure we got a big range of people is um, I grew up in Beirut in Lebanon. Uh, and so I get like low key uncomfortable when I'm only surrounded by white people. It just seems very strange mm-hmm. to me. It's just I don't like it at all. So I always try and get really diverse groups into rooms because I just I don't like it when there's only people like me around me. Um <laughs> And I think just different ways of learning, different ways of communicating information. And that, again, is something that um, has been written about in Aboriginal spaces, that often they'll have communal learning and often they'll talk about things in different ways and conceptualise ideas in ways that can be completely alien to Western people. And that's really important for science, because if you can't turn an idea around and look at an idea in a different way, you might never solve the problem you're looking at. And that would be amazing. Like, if we could solve every problem in the world, I would be a very happy person. But we're not <laughs> going to do it unless we have diversity of thought. So. And it's definitely in how we engage with ourselves as well. So, like, um, I identify as genderqueer, even though I've kind of accepted that I present as aggressively feminine and so will always be mistaken for a <laughs> cis woman, which is fine. Yeah, you know, I roll with that. Um, but. At coming to terms with that identity resulted in me thinking about gender in a very different way and sort of understanding things in quite a different way. And that changed how I think. And so it's how you relate with yourself, how you conceptualize yourself, because essentially the self that you are perform- like provides a framework through which your thoughts get filtered.
1: Yeah. And do you think it adjusted the way that you think critically about things as well and analyze?
2: In certain spheres, it's more obvious than in others. So I'm um, talking about things like uh, there's a group of particular medical conditions that are referred to as disorders of sex development and how much I agree with that term, beside mm. that point, um, my thoughts surrounding things like that have greatly changed since I've come to terms with my own gender identity. Um, when it comes to things like the theory of relativity, probably not. Yeah,
1: gotcha. <laughs> um, so... We've talked a little bit about the importance of diversity and intersectional feminism. What can be done to represent diversity? Um, Obviously there are the more tokenistic approaches (laughs) where you audit your groups of people. Um, what, What other approaches are there that you'd recommend?
2: I mean, I'm a big fan of just hiring people It's like if a company feels like it has a problem with not enough women, they should consider hiring women. But also just being really aware of taking account of people's resumes and people's abilities relative to opportunity. So, there are things where um, particularly for women still in academia and science, if they have a child they 'll often have a break in their c v mm-hmm. and historically that hasn 't really been taken into account when hiring you 're just like, "Well, you have produced fewer papers, so we can 't hire you and right. that might be because you had to go and have a baby, but we don 't care about that in science <laughs> now it 's a lot better um, and so things like having a child are definitely taken in account relative more more taken into account relative to opportunity, maybe not in all cases. Um, but looking at things like realizing that there is a systemic bias against women in STEM there's a systemic bias against people of color in STEM and particularly disabled people in STEM as well like it's i've heard a lot of accounts from um people with different disabilities who just say that it's very, very difficult to get anywhere and they get treated as sort of lesser people, particularly in their jobs. Um, And I think realising that systemic bias and taking that into account when looking at someone's CV, when considering hiring someone from a position, would be a really valuable step forward. So if you're looking at a CV from someone and you know they're of a different ethnicity, a non-white ethnicity, or you know they have a disability, and it just doesn't seem as good as a mediocre white man that you're also looking at, that's probably because they've had to try a lot harder to gain those opportunities mm. and that they've shown a much greater amount of tenacity than a mediocre white man who has probably been sort of shunted through by the system and has gone, oh, well done, you got, you've,
1: you've done okay. Good that's work. such an interesting yeah. point, yeah. <laughs> Looking at the challenges that they must have faced rather than the achievements that are on the paper.
2: Yeah, and recognising that. And awesome. recognising what that means within a worker because that's an incredibly valuable thing to have someone who fights against, like... All of that injustice and all, like, all of the impression that comes with being, like, existing as a human in the world who's not a member of a privileged group, like, that's something you want in mm-hmm. your scientists, in your computer people, in your engineers, because those are people who will fight to get the answer, and they will not stop, and they will give what it takes. And so those are people you want to hire, and realising that would be incredibly valuable.
1: Yeah, they are the best, aren't they? Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> we are the best. Oh, hire us. <laughs> um, so do you have some examples you want to share of organisations that are doing this well?
0: Um,
1: yeah, so
0: I guess in terms of uh, what WISE has experienced, or actually more generally there's, um, there's a group called the Workplace Gender Equality Agency, uh, and that's a government-run organization that you can look online at all of their data. They have like data covering millions of employees in Australia, and it's really interesting to see the breakdown um, in terms of gender equality and diversity uh, across different industries. Um, for WISE, um, we've got like two of the uh, employee of choice for, sorry, employer of choice for women uh, are WISE sponsors. So Uh, KPMG and PwC in particular are really, they've had a really great relationship with us. Um, PwC has run awesome events with us, um, giving our members like professional skills, uh, looking at their CVs and, you know, interview techniques and LinkedIn and all that kind of stuff. So we really appreciate that. Uh, And there are many companies that are recognized on that employer of choice. So I would i would i would actually encourage people to look at the wgea website for that um we've also got a few other sponsors who are amazing um ibm CSIRO, convergence science network who are particularly interesting because they give uh public facing presentations so if you're interested in science but you aren't in the community you can just come and learn like they have an awesome one about 3d printing that's coming up that i'm keen to attend i've also got uh more interesting, Vesparum is a small startup, um, which is really interesting. And L.E.K., BCG, you know, just a whole range of different kinds of companies and industries that are interested in WISE, which is really exciting for us. Uh, yeah, And they value an, us enough to give us money, which is quite
2: a nice thing to see a big company like IBM go, you know what, you guys are doing a good thing, and to Mm. give us some money, and just like, it it feels really nice. Is that something
1: that you you guys go out and appeal to them, or... um do they? Is it like an ongoing funding? So we've
2: had IBM for a while, so
0: I'm not entirely sure how that relationship initially started. Um, places like fistbarum they reached out to us? You'll know more about this. Uh, they initially reached out to us, yeah, to um, meet our members because they're really interested in hiring more uh, high-performing perform- women in STEM, which is... Awesome, and we obviously support it. (laughs) That's
2: a great way to hire women and stand sponsor us. (laughs) Uh.
1: (laughs) So there are big companies that are making, looking to make those changes. Yeah, Yeah. Um, do you? Can you talk a bit to the uh, the changes you've seen in the community? while you've been observing it? Have we come... Tell us we've come some distance (laughs) since the Um, 80s.
2: I think we have. So I... Since the 80s, I was born in
1: 1992. You you don't
2: know about the 80s. Uh, The 80s (laughs) haven't before my time, quite literally. Um, I think we have come... A decent way i mean i do remember being a child in the 90s and sort of reading about things like feminism and equal pay and frankly i'm outraged that we haven't got that yet because mm. when i was you know six i thought that this would be fixed by now and that i just read it and it's like you know what i don't have to worry about it because it'll be fixed by the time i have a job well right. guess what <laughs> i am not impressed um <laughs> But, yeah, I think we have come a decent way. Uh, there are increasing numbers of programs that are really actively working to help increase diversity in STEM, particularly surrounding women in STEM. Um, the SAGE program in Australia started quite recently, so that's supporting Australian gender equality. Um, they're similar to the Athena Swan program in the UK, which has started to tie public funding into actually hiring women and having a diverse workplace and not, not promoting women, um, which is really, really good because it means that universities are actually encouraged and incentivized to hire women and promote women and like treat women like we're equal to men, which is always <laughs> nice. Um, and so the SAGE program is going to be doing that in Australia. So that's sort of the academic equivalent to the um, uh, employers of choice. Uh, We have other groups, so I know in New Zealand a women in science thing started up recently um, which has been really encouraging more students to go through university but particularly science. So while it's been increasing, we're not really getting there and I think um, when you're talking about diversity and STEM, looking at New Zealand and Australia and their Indigenous groups involvement in STEM is really valuable for that because New Zealand is about five steps ahead of Australia and it gives me a kick, but also <laughs> because it shows where Australia can be moving and groups like that are starting up. There is a lot of outreach to less privileged groups in society. How much good those outreach programs do, how much they provide students with opportunities to go to really good universities remains, I think, I think remains to be seen. Um, but there are People are trying, and I think the first step is to try and Mm. then to try effectively. Um, (laughs) While I don't think it's great that we're trying and it's 2016 and we are basically in the future, um, the fact that we're trying is a really good first step.
1: Yeah, and that there's widespread acknowledgement that there is an issue there. Yeah. And not just within, like feminist collectives and <laughs> yeah. on this community radio station but also and, on a more broad level
2: yeah and it's a major issue that's being discussed so um like i mentioned earlier i went sh- i'm not sure if we were recording then the sexual harassment and astrophysics like that's being talked about in the public eye there was a senator in america that was talking about that like i think a senator i'm not sure what the terms for politicians all mean there was talking about that like in the public eye, and so what's that's, the issue there? Do I um, just
1: give listeners a quick rundown? Uh,
2: there've been a few cases of sexual harassment in astrophysics, particularly astrophysics professors sexually harassing younger, more vulnerable female grad students, or um, I think employees of the university as well. Uh, The first example was with Jeff Marcy and there was a huge outrage when BuzzFeed, of all places, broke the news um, and the university he was associated with eventually performed some disciplinary action rather than just telling him not to do it again. Um, And then there have been a few more cases that have come to light, really highlighting how this is quite a widespread issue and that sexual harassment in academia is something that happens and it happens a lot. We're creating a space that women actively don't want to be in. And it's actively unsafe for women to be in a space where they're being sexually harassed, where they're being sexually assaulted. But now the fact that we're talking about it means that something might change. Mm. And I think if we can change science and technology and engineering and maths to be a safe space for women then that's going to be amazing, like because it's frankly quite ridiculous that we're expected to go through and do our undergrad and do our PhDs and become scientists or engineers or professors while putting our safety on the line a lot of the time for that. And if we're talking about the issue with women in science, you can't ignore the fact that a lot of the time we are in danger and a lot of the time we're in danger from our peers. And so the fact that we're discussing it, the fact that we're talking about it as a problem, the fact that these sexual harassers are actually being punished for what they did is an incredibly valuable thing, even though it's taken this long for us to get here.
1: Mm. Very important points. So just quickly before we wrap up, um, what what do you need to do to be involved in WISE? What does that look like?
2: Um, so... WISE is a student group at the University of Melbourne. We're affiliated with the Union um, student union. So if you're a member of the University of Melbourne and you're the student body, although I think we can have staff members.
0: We can have uh, non-union members, but up to a certain percentage. Yeah.
2: Okay, so we can't have heaps, so get in quick. Um, <laughs> you can go to our website, which is www.wiseunimelb.com. Uh it's really pretty. We've got an excellent IT wizard. It is pretty. <laughs> um and there's a link to sign up there. And we will send you newsletters with our upcoming events and you can attend any of them. Some of them you'll need to book for, so for our workshops particularly, they tend to sell out quite quickly. Um I say sell out book spaces. Uh we try and provide everything for free. yeah Everything for free. Okay. Yeah. Um So you just need to book spaces and come along. Membership is open to people from all genders. You just have to be passionate about supporting um, women in science, technology, engineering and maths.
1: And are there equivalent groups in other universities that you know of? Um, so at La Trobe,
2: there's Supporting Women in Science. So they started last year and I was lucky enough to uh, speak at their launch. Oh. Uh, I got to talk about Nicki Minaj. It was good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's also Fem at Monash, which is Female Engineers at Monash. Right. Uh, but there aren't a lot of women in STEM groups around. So us and La Trobe are the only ones I really know about, Um there are a few more women in engineering groups, so I know that Deakin is a woman in engineering group. I'm pretty sure RMIT has one.
1: And how about nationwide? outside of oh. Victoria. It's hard, <laughs> hard to comment, isn't it?
2: Yeah. I mean, I want to make one. Um, <laughs> so not currently, not for students. Okay. Um, there are So Women in Science Australia is a really good group and students can be members of that, um, but it's aimed at all women within science. So there'll be a few events that are like aimed at early career researchers and there'll be things that are sort of above where you're at possibly. Um, but Women in Science Australia is amazing. I've met both the founders and I love them both so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Um, it's, yeah, it's, that's a really good thing. And the two founders, um, Maggie Evans-Galier and Michelle Gallagher. Uh, Maggie's an academic researcher. Michelle is in the startup space, and so they've really combined the sort of science and industry for Women in Science Australia, so it's not just named at
1: Academics, which is really good. That's great. Yeah. So, yeah, have a Google, speak to your local university or relevant institution, and if there isn't one there, think about starting one up. Um, there are amazing models to be found (laughs) around the nation, and I'm sure that if anyone has any questions, they could get in touch with you guys. Yeah, definitely. All right, cool. So that website, once again, is www.wiseunimelb.com or just plug it into Google. Thanks, Jess and Sophia.
0: Thank you. It's been great
1: to have you on. Women on the Line is Community Radio's national women's current affairs program. It's produced and presented by a group of women at 3CR Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network with funding support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The theme music for Women on the Line is slideshow at Free University by La Tigra. Women on the Line can be downloaded from our website, womenontheline.org.au or download the podcast at 3cr.org.au slash podcast. I'm Amy Middleton. Tune in next time for another edition of Women on the Line. You've been listening
0: to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.